instruments to measure things that we didn't have before. <clears throat> and when we have the instrument to measure a thing, I mean, there's now uh, some really great work coming out of CERN around uh, dark matter for the first time. You know, so. Yeah, I saw some of that. Well, the one, I mean, the one that is the funniest one for me, and this is in the future is faster than you think, but it's the, you know, when I first heard about quantum computing in the 90s, right, David mm -hmm. Deutsch published his book, and I think that was the first time most people heard about it. And that book was impenetrable on top of everything else. But uh, <laughs> it, just, it really was. Uh, but I, it was so sci-fi weird that I was making my living writing about technology and tracking sci-fi technologies that were becoming sci-fact. And I didn't even put quantum computing in my list of things that I was going to treat seriously. And yet Google announced quantum supremacy a couple months ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago, Intel announced their next grounded chips are going to be quantum chips, right? So your smartphone by 2021, 22 is going to be quantum computer powered. That's, um, that is certainly trippy, right? And, you know, here's another technology, by the way, that we can use it and we still don't exactly know how it works. Right. Right. Which is, which is fascinating also. Yeah. It, it, I mean, there's so much. The question becomes, do we need to, um, uh, again, maybe it's a moral question, but do we need to understand it to use it? Or do we, you know, because again, there's always that double-edged sword. Uh, Oppenheimer, you know, suddenly went, oh my God, what have I done? And he made this great technological advancement, but there's a dark side to it. And there always is. What do you think we, what do you think we... By the way, I, that's a little, I, I, I got to say, like, if Oppenheimer, like, it's a little after the fact, right? The thing goes boom I, and you go, oh, my God, what have we done? Like, you were doing the math all along the way. You knew what, like, I mean. Absolutely. I, I don't disagree with you at all. But I think that, that, that a lot of the time we get blinded by goals. Humans get, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. We get blinded like, by goals and we just go, no, okay, this is no, it. And I, you know, I... I, I've seen it all the time. So um, my, one of my early mentors was a guy named Robert White. And he was a neuroscientist, one of the great neurosurgeons of the 20th century, inventor of cryonics, invented a lot of uh, very foundational things that we still use in science today. And he was, I'm an animal rights advocate. And he was literally the most hated man in animal rights. They hated him for a series of experiments that he conducted um, years and years ago, more than they hated sort of anyone. And I, um, and I, you know, it was, and, and he, a lot of the experiments that he was conducting where he was literally just torturing animals, he was conducting because he fundamentally believed he was making the world a better place for mm -hmm. you, right? Like, and he was a Catholic and the Catholic church teaches dogs don't have a soul. And so he, and animals don't have a soul. So he felt totally, it was in line with his morality. Mm -hmm. And right. And I remember, um, I remember being really, really torn by this. Like this was literally, um, I went to do a story on him and I said to him, it was, uh, it was the first big neuroscience story I ever wrote. And, I had managed to learn a lot of science along the way and I got two hours into interviewing him and I realized that I was 
really, really over my head. Like I just stopped him and I was like, I may have to pass this story on to another journalist. I just don't have the neuroscience to, to understand what you're saying. And he said, but you have time. And I said, well, I do. And he spent the next two weeks in his, he was retired in his old laboratory at Case Western Reserve University, basically all day long, giving me um, a course in neuroscience on a story that, by the way, ultimately never ran because the magazine killed it, which was oh crazy on top of it all. But I, like for two weeks, this dude taught me the founding. Like I got a grad school education from him in neuroscience and yet he tortured animals. And I think, you know, and he tortured animals for things that he believed in. And there, you know, it's, it's as you said, you know, one of, people always, I, one of the reasons I married my wife is because I grew up gray. I knew absolutely amazing, wonderful people who killed people for a living. I knew amazing criminals, right? I, and, and, and it was always that way. Like, you were the guy who saved my ass, and you were also the guy who hurt people for a living. Like, it, and like that was just the world I grew up in, and ever, that was normal, right? Like, and as a journalist, I found more of that, not less of it. So when I met my wife, she had a very clear sense of right and wrong that I never had, and I was very attracted to that because it was I was like, oh, okay, you can you can say where what's black and what I can't. Everything I see is gray and um, the most wonderful people are also the most awful people and vice versa. And I saw a lot of that. So it was hard for me to steer. My wife helped me steer on that case, but I agree with you. I don't know what you do with it. Yeah, you see, you and I are very similar in that way, Stephen. I remember that from my previous conversation because where I grew up, I grew up in a ghetto. I was surrounded by crime and violence and addiction and, you know, all brutality. I mean, insane things and i saw people who were incredibly kind and good who could be ferocious i mean all the, you know. right all the time like i mean saturday the difference was like saturday at 8 a.m versus saturday at 10 o'clock yeah right? and, and it was fascinating for me that you know that, that it was part of my original pull into psychology was that people are not a thing it's still my greatest argument in psychology. You want to tell me people are, are this person is this? I disagree. I disagree. One of my greatest achievements is it I, and this is not my words, it's his words, I de-radicalized a neo-Nazi. He's now the, uh, the author of a book called The Cure for Hate. He runs Life After Hate. Um, he was a neo-Nazi. He went to Supreme Court in Canada. You know, he was a neo-Nazi. I'm a Jew. <laughs> we spoke at the UN about this. And the reason why, and I was asked at the UN, why, why would you help this guy? And I said, because no one sits in front of me who isn't me. And the person said, the, the, the adjudicator who was a CNN uh, um, a Muslim lady said, how can you possibly, you know, here's a guy who wanted to wipe your people off the earth. How could you help him? And I said, because that's what you saw. That's not what I saw. She said, what do you see? I said, I saw a highly intelligent, highly creative, insecure little boy who was incredibly articulate. And all I had to do was find a common ground. So she says, well, what did you use to de-radicalize? I said, number one, we never use that word. 
And number two, the answer was rapport. It was called Monty Python. We actually spoke about Monty Python for the first 25 minutes. That's all we talked about, the parrot sketch and things like that to find that common ground because no one is a thing. Uh, because one of my great teachers, Pathasareje, taught me a mantra, and the mantra is, the murderer lives in me. And by living in that space, I'm, I'm always able to go, oh, okay, I hadn't considered that. Oh, okay, I hadn't considered that. Uh, and, uh, and it makes me more open, and it's a part of that driver to curiosity that is at the depth of who I am is, well, what, is, what am I not seeing? What don't I get yet? What am I not grasping here? And we know this, as I said, I think that goals make us blind. We, we see it in marriages in a fight. You know, what are you fighting about? You fight about being freaking right. That's a terrible thing to fight about. What are you actually fighting about? I know we used to stop people in the middle of, middle of a fight and go, what are you fighting about? And they go, well, he's wrong. Hold on. What are you fighting about? If you're fighting about being right, you're dead in the water. So it's like, it's to me, it's, it's fascinating to, to that's, why I that's why I wanted to put this show together, was I, I, I actually want to have people on the show. I, I want to have Steve Bannon on. I got a connection, and I had him, and he won't come on, unfortunately. I want to have him on. I think he's a fascinating character. I want to have David Duke on. I want to have people on I disagree with intently. I want anti-climate people on. I want to find out what I don't understand about why they believe these things. And it doesn't mean I'll disagree with them. It means there's more to learn. And I think that this is, I believe this is the one of the ways we become better humans. How do you think we become better humans? I, you know, I, I, I guess I've always, uh, I, I think we become better humans through flow more than anything else. Um, I think that's, um, I mean, certainly we can become worse humans through flow as well, but I think it does have a tendency to bring out what is, what is best in us. I mean, you know, creativity and flow will always be my answers. How did you first come across flow, Stephen? For you. Uh, there's, I mean, there's lots of different stories. I was very sick. I cured myself of my illness using flow. Um, it, it came out of my study, which was lifelong of, of how the impossible becomes possible. Every time you see the impossible become possible, it doesn't matter the field, business, science, technology, yeah. you're always seeing flow. Um, it's an optimal state of consciousness, right? It's almost tautological, right? Like water is wet flow is there when the impossible becomes possible. Um, and by the way, like, Let's be clear, history is littered with the impossible becoming possible, right? This is, there's nothing magical going on. This is just what happens. We call it progress, right? The four minute mile is a miracle until it's the standard benchmark of elite running. And that's just the way it works. Um, but it's, flow is always there. So, you know, it, it showed up personally for myself. It showed up as the answer to the question I was trying to solve, which is what, is it, what does it take to do the impossible? And you know, and it, it's remain. It's it's to me, it's the coolest neuro puzzle there is. You you know what I mean? Like you asked earlier, what I was curious about, and um, I have spent uh, working with uh, primarily with Stanford neuroscientist Andrew Uberman, um, among other people. But uh, 
we've been trying to map the first two seconds of flow. Literally, like you've like that's literally what like I've shrunk it down and shrunk it down and shrunk it down, and we're getting we're we're working on a big article um, that'll come out later this year on what we've discovered. Um, but we think we've mapped the first couple of seconds of flow. We think we found a, the, what you could call the neural circuit for flow, um, at least for triggering the state, for putting us into sliding us into the state. Um, there's probably more work to be done, but we're making progress, and you know I'm obsessed with it. Um, it's you know it's my it's the greatest intellectual puzzle I have, and I think it's it's the it's the secret, as far as I can tell. Not the only one, but it's a it's a large portion of it. So what's a better question for us to ask? Then what? And well, just, a, no, not, not then what. What is just generally a better question for us to be asking ourselves to keep ourselves in that optimized state, to push ourselves towards the optimized state? Is it what do I see as impossible and that, that, that I'm holding on to? Or, I mean, what is a better question to move us forward, do you think? So it's interesting because, you know, I talk about the banister effect, which is you have to believe the impossible is possible before it becomes possible. And this is, there's neurobiology underneath it. Um, what's interesting about the banister effect is it's limited, right? If you're working at, this is why affirmations don't work, right? You've got a built-in bullshit detector. So if you're working at Walmart and looking in the mirror going, I am a millionaire, I am a millionaire, I am a millionaire, your brain is going, shut the fuck up. No, you're not. You work at Walmart, man, right? Like, yep. crazy. That will not work. Like, forget about it. Um, there is a outer rung of possibility. This is one of the things that's interesting to me about flow is in flow, and there's a technical term for it. It's called the watchtower effect. It's produced by the medial prefrontal cortex right here and some neurochemicals working together. But it basically gives you, because your sense of self is dialed down and your critic is really quiet, you get perspective you can see farther over your life you can sort of see the next impossible that's possible for you mm. but that's like the next banister effect right so like if you're working at walmart and you want to be a millionaire telling yourself you're a millionaire that's not possible but you could probably see your way if you're making 14 dollars an hour you could probably imagine a world where you're making 25 dollars an hour and from $25 an hour, you can get to $50, right? Like there's steps to it. It's a right. radiated thing. So I, whatever gets you, allows you to wrap your brain around whatever the next impossible for you, I think that's where I'm, that's, I don't know if they, I can put it in a question, but right. that's what I'm thinking about coming off of what you're asking me. Yeah, I think that, um, I think there is there incremental growth and there is quantum growth for us as humans. Uh, incremental growth, in my opinion, happens usually through learning. There's some kind of learning that expands me and I incrementally grow and develop. And quantum growth um, has a split. And quantum growth means you either grow forward massively or you recoil massively. And a quantum growth is usually experiential. It's something that makes, it takes you out of your present state of reality and violates all your expectations about what, what is possible for you. I.e., in my case, falling off a mountain, smash me to pieces. It violates my expectations of a living. It violates my expectations of where my life was going up until that moment. There's a, there's a quantum leap forward 
but at the same time was that definite potential for me to go right back a minute when people say did the fall change your life my answer is always no and they go really and i go absolutely not that's the pivotal moment but the choice moment is when the, when the quantum leap happens and the choice moment is only possible only possible when i can return to normal so i've been knocked off normal smashed to pieces and that's the that's the pivotal moment but the choice point is when i'm recovered enough that i can go back to normal as i know it but choose not to and then there's a quantum leap but that quantum leap means going through enormous amounts of fear because well, it's, i mean the tech right the technical we, term for what you're talking about is post-traumatic growth right yeah. it's the exact inverse of post-traumatic stress um yeah. and right really an incredibly powerful tool for change right yeah ptsg right it is post-traumatic growth it's it's uh it's getting to that place like i said pivotal point the event happens but choice point is when i say i can't go back to normal everything gives me the opportunity to go back there but i can't do that anymore because I feel like that's the loop I'm caught in. And it's that, again, breaching the bias. It, it's that it, something in there has violated all my expectations of reality beyond what it is. You said you cured yourself um, with flow. Was that a case of what I'm just talking about or is it something else? Um. I mean, it, you know, I was in bed for a very long time. I was in bed for three years. I was really sick, um, and uh, nobody ever knew knew I was going to get better. So um, it was a, you know, it was significant. Um, there's, I mean, you know, Dove, there've been a lot of those. Uh, I, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I've broken eighty-two bones. I was told I would never walk again on a couple of different occasions. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I get a lot of pleasure out of proven people wrong i like i kind of like it we love it you know i kind of like it when you tell me i can't do something because it's pretty much a guarantee that i'm gonna do it again i know nothing about that right <laughs> that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying um but you know um so were I'll, you when you were sick for three years you were in bed for three years were you told that that was incurable uh i was uh they were working very hard to cure it. And then my stomach lining started bleeding out as a reaction against what was happening. So like they just had to pull me off medicines at that point. And I was nearly bankrupt um, because I had spent all my money, you know, on doctors and trying to find a cure and everything else. So um, th that, that I was functionally out of options um, at that point. So because it's an interesting statement that flow cured you? Oh, so let, so I had Lyme disease, which is an autoimmune condition. Right. And so when you move into flow, two things are important here. One, um, there's, uh, in most cases, there's a global release of nitric oxide. It's a gas that's signaling molecules everywhere in the body. And what it does is it flushes stress hormones out of your system, so it resets a nervous system. Lyme disease, any autoimmune condition, a nervous system gone haywire. One of the problems when you have chronic Lyme, chronic lupus, what that actually means neurobiologically is your body doesn't have a freaking clue where normal is anymore. The, homeo, the, the thermostat, right, the, the homeostatic mechanism is totally gone, right? It's gone 
So you have to actually be able to reset the nervous system just to get back to normal, right? This, and concurrently, um, you get five or six different neurochemicals in flow. The bulk of them are massive immune system boosters. So uh, Herb Benson at Harvard, who did a lot of the work on the, the flow cycle and the neurobiology of flow, the neurochemistry of flow, has said that he believes most so-called cases of spontaneous healing are actually this same mechanism, this, this particular mechanism. Um, I am not a rarity in this particular case. Like this, this, this happens, um, you can find a lot of it in the annals of medicine. It's not all that odd. People have written about it, they've, they, they've seen it. There hasn't been a whole ton of work done on it, right? Like neuro, neurotransmitters for as immune boosters, um, it's all, you know, it's all, there's easier ways to boost your immune system. You know what I mean? But what um, you were talking that, about is, is really some kind of like a hard reset. Uh, it, it can't, for, for your nervous system, yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the good thing about flow is, um, you know, the more neurochemicals that show up during experience, the better chance to move from short-term holding into long-term storage, right? That's one of the things neurochemistry calls to do. They tag experience. Important, save for later, right? So you get a whole bunch of important tags, brain saves it for later. Mm-hmm we're really good at doing this with negative experiences, yeah. right? Right. Exactly. We store negative experiences. I mean, this is one of the reasons earlier we talked about using fear as a motivator and going at things that scare you. One of the reasons this is so great is it accelerates learning, right? Like fear flow is maybe the only positive experience we get that does it. So if, and I, this, you know, we used to do this, um, at workshops, which is if I close your eyes and ask you to pick your favorite memory from ages, you know, zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, most of the time, three out of four memories that you're going to pick are going to be flow states. And it's not just that those are your favorite memories, they are, but it's because you remember them because they were flow states, right? You can access them because they overwrite older memories. So when you talk about a hard reset flow, like I, you know, my joke to people has always been like, if you want to get over heartbreak, go skydiving. <laughs> yes. It, I mean, it's it, it literally like it's instant, right? You will regroove neural pathways because it's more powerful than the heartbreak, right? Um, heartbreak is you're missing, you're having withdrawal from two neurochemicals, basically. Mm-hmm. Flow is five or six of them, more powerful, right? Like the, it sounds crude, but it absolutely works uh, because it's just the wonders of neurobiology. So in that hard reset uh, thing, what do you think about the context of psilocybins or, you know, uh, any of those, you know, DMT or whatever it is, which are now becoming again, more popular coming back into popular. uh, Yeah. I mean, certainly I wrote about them a lot in stealing fire. Right. I personally um, do not love psychedelics' high-performance tools, and, but I do find what the research has shown is that they're very effective for trauma, right? The research has consistently shown they're very effective for trauma. Now, I often ask myself, is this because um, you're dealing with generations that have not had experiences with these compounds before, Right. Like, and you can hear different things. If you talk to people in these communities, some will say, oh, the trauma protocols have set and setting and therapists. And so it'll always work. Maybe, 
right? Maybe, maybe, or if you've done, but if you've done a copious amount of psychedelics in your life, it's not gonna, it's really not gonna have that, right? So there's, there's issues with some of that work. I, you know, as I said, in stealing fire, I'm really excited we have more options, mm -hmm. right? We understand it, why these things work. We're getting better. We're getting more precise in our targeting with them. And they're becoming much more useful. To me, this is what I always say, and I say this in, in workshops for high performance, which is I'm not all that interested in technological solutions or pharmacological solutions. And the reason is quite simply, you know, the story I always say is when I was coming up as a journalist, there were four or five different occasions where I was shot at caught in the crossfire, right? Like, or being directly pointed at and shot at. On none of those occasions did I have the ability to be like, um, excuse me, dude with an Uzi, could you hold on while I like take this substance and we can wait for it to kick in so I can perform, right? Like that shit doesn't happen. I need to perform my best, but I need to perform my best. I can't. Time out, I need my, right? I need, I exactly. need my like, Hold on, I need to put on my EEG headset so I can meditate into a stress-free zone so I can deal with your bullets. Well, no, I, it doesn't actually work that way. You know what I mean? Like I do. in my own life, you know, as, as, as a writer, certainly the situations where I've needed creativity the most, right? Um, the deadline situations it was they were like they, it was an editor calling me up it's like one o'clock in the morning i need this fucking thing by you know 8 a.m redo it blah, blah blah you know i like oh well maybe i should do some acid and have some insight and then you know three days from now no that's not how it works that doesn't like that's not been my experience um with it and i also i swear to god dub if one more teenager in a funny silk hat comes up to me and wants to have a plant medicine cacao i swear to god i'm if i don't kill a millennial if i die without killing a millennial it is going to be a miracle i'm just saying <laughs> i understand uh it, it's it's fascinating to me because you know i'm old enough that i did research 25 30 years ago that's now becoming cool so look, I mean, nobody, I was so, I worked so hard on these issues. And now that these things have happened, a part of me regrets working so hard on these issues. Like maybe it was better to keep this one in a box because people just seem to be morons around state changing technologies, be it them substances or actual techs. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter. It seems like it just seems to bring out the moron in people. You know, for me, I remember being in my 20s, which is a long time ago, but really being fascinated by one substance and one substance only, and that was cortisol. I was fascinated with the stress response in the human being and how it is so incredibly subjective and how stress makes some people very positive and makes them do amazing things and other people it just doesn't and how we deal with that how we deal with stress through meditation or whatever it is is um because stress is also a factor the cortisol is part of the factor of moving into a flow state right yeah it's interesting um there's research on this at this point flow is a stress response at the front end you will always see frustration in fact so when you're frustrated, 
when your brain makes a prediction error, the anterior cingulate cortex produces a very specific wave. It's called an M400 wave. It literally means something went wrong, right? Something went wrong. Reality doesn't match. Your prediction doesn't match reality, right? You screwed up somehow. Always see it at the front end of a flow state. And we see cortisol levels increase. We also see both sympathetic fight or flight response and parasympathetic at once. So the reason you see all this stuff is because it's precision fine tuning, right? Flow is a very precise response. So yeah. in the brain, a lot of, so acetylcholine and norepinephrine are, they're both focusing chemicals. They tend to be in opposition. Serotonin and dopamine tend to be in opposition. Parasympathetic, sympathetic, they tend to work in opposition. Um, that tends to be, Right, we were talking earlier how everything is a spectrum, right? They, they tend to, one of the reasons we get spectrum responses where things are in opposition is because it allows for fine tuning of the, of the systems, right? So you need very precise tuning to produce these responses. But as you pointed out, you know, cortisol is interesting because it operates on such a slow time scale, right? Like dopamine is seconds, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, oxytocin is minutes cortisol is like 15 20 minutes right before it fully works its way into its your system fully takes like these are very they're different time scales and it's interesting like we don't think this way but uh dogs do this and, and we do this also as uh the brain keeps time through neurochemistry right certain neurochemicals and certain hormones only show up uh uh in certain time scales. So we keep time very, very differently. I'll give you a dogs. I was said this earlier. I'm not, they keep time through how, uh, how much scent is left, right? They can smell an odor and they can go, Oh, Steven, my human was here 10 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, two days ago, two weeks ago, six months ago. Right. Um, so how much of something is pre they, it's a, it's a weird that we don't, keep time that way right i mean maybe if your wife happens to wear perfume right you walk into a room and you smell it you're like oh she was in here but very rare few of us go oh she was in here three and a half minutes ago exactly <laughs> right and 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 you put the perfume on two and a half minutes before she was in here three and a half right but dogs do that all the time um which is i don't know how we got here um <laughs> I'm running out. Of, I'm running out of the time for the conversation. I'm running into. No, we, we got to finish up. Listen, mate. I always love our conversations, and you are you have an open invitation to come back anytime at all, uh, because I just love where we get to go to. You are definitely one of my favorite people to talk to, and I love your mind and how it works. Thank you for your time. Please tell our um, our listeners and our viewers where they can find out more about you and all of the resources and books and ways to find out about how you what bring you in yeah i guess i mean I, the play the best place to start is um if any of the flow stuff is interesting um we've been offering at at the uh, the flow research collective has been offering a free peak performance console with our team um that you can just to kind of give you the lowdown of what we do and what you do and if this is right for you it's zero to dangerous.com Flow Research Collective is flowresearchcollective.com, stephencotler.com. Future the, is faster, the book, hold on. Let, before I give you the wrong URL on that, um, 
let me check that because I always screw up. That's the problem with having so many books. Yeah. They all got different websites and it's hard to keep tra track of them. So it's uh, futurefasterbook.com. Futurefasterbook.com is the website for that book. But stephencotler.com, flowresearchcollective.com, or zerotodangerous.com are probably the best three places. And there's, on sure. all of them, there's tons of free shit, right? Lots of free content. Don't have to pay for anything. Just come hang out. Go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I will we'll make sure all that is shared out. Mate, again, it was a pleasure and honor. Always love talking to you, mate. If there's anything we can do for you, we are honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, and for you, dear listener, dear viewer, remember that you can chat about this show or any other show, any other of our shows inside of our group, inside Facebook, or inside of our LinkedIn groups. Until next time, stay curious, my friends. Stay curious about how you can get into a flow state, particularly around the things that you maybe want to write off or get limited about. How can you open your mind a little deeper to be a little more curious about what's possible that you hold as impossible? Dov Baron, stay curious, my friend. I'm out.